Anyway, I have, uh, I don't know if this will make it in, but I, I stopped um, and I'm hoping to edit this. If not, because uh, I, I, again, I got sidetracked. Um, guys, even women, you know, make sure your significant other knows how you feel. Don't hesitate to express it. Um, don't get tired of it. Don't think it's rote or routine. Um, you know, just be appreciative. Express it. Um, again, don't take it for granted. So, if I got sidetracked too long, my apologies, but I don't know that I would take it back. Um, so we ended the hour with the global warming, speaking about the Sahara Desert and the 20,000 year cycle. Um, you've heard me say before, degrowth or regression. Uh, I, and I can't rationally view it as anything else because of those things that I mentioned, I've talked about that I know that has been taught, that is known, you know, based in science, it's too late to take all that information back. Because all of a sudden now, over the last 30, 40, 50 years, you have a different agenda or narrative. You can't undo the history. Um, the only thing you can do is start the indoctrination on the next generation, which I said from pretty much, I would say probably three to four weeks in to COVID. So maybe late February, um, early March, that this was going to be a control issue. Uh, not everywhere, not with every politician, every governor, etc. But this was going to be a control issue. Not that it was, I wasn't doubting the seriousness or, or any of that part. I just know when people, humans, government leaders, again, humans, have that kind of audience and attention and quote unquote trust that it's human nature to abuse it, to take it and use it to gain more power, trust, control, etc. Human nature throughout history. You know, uh, a leopard, there's old saying, a leopard doesn't change its spots. Um, that's why we, not in every case, but, you know, if you study people and, and listen and, you know, I'm not an expert. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not anything. But I, 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 I've always said I study human behavior informally. That's about as accurate as I can put it. But hopefully you understand. Uh, and with a certain degree of accuracy, I can 
reasonably predict personalities, outcomes, uh, behaviors, so to speak. Maybe not personalities, but uh, it's no different than in baseball. Back in the old days, a manager uh, managed on percentages. So let's say you have a runner at first, you're down a run, uh, and you need to tie the game. So the runner's on first with no outs. The hitter's up, pretty good hitter, contact hitter. The, the easiest thing to do is a hit and run. The runner steals, the player, the batter, swings the bat, puts the ball in play. Hopefully, it's a base hit and he can advance to third. Um, or in the gap, you know, ultimately scoring, that's obvious. But the bottom line is when you send the runner, you get the runner moving on the pitch, you put pressure on the defense. They have to change their alignment. And hopefully, the hitter can find the hole that the the defensive player just created in his uh, attempt to cover second base. So to play the percentages, you look for like a three and one count or two and zero oh count, because typically the pitcher has to throw a strike with a three balls and one strike or two balls and no strike count. The next pitch should be a strike should at least at minimum be close enough for the hitter to handle it, to put the ball in play. The last thing you want is the hitter to swing and miss and the runner get thrown out. So the odds are two and oh, three and one counts. The best odds, the best count you'll get to um, hope for success in that situation. Human behavior is the same thing. No different in that application, uh, playing the odds, uh, general behaviors, etc. Uh, power uh, is something that humans have always um, yearned for. I mean, just, I don't get it. Uh, I understand it. It's human behavior. It's not for me to question. I just understand and recognize it when I see it. Understand the true motives and power, control, uh, degrowth, the slowing down of a society and economy, uh, regression, ultimately is the goal. They won't tell you that. Uh, just like in the campaign, I, again, I said, I think our two Biden is a moderate. No way, not at any point of his career has the man been a moderate. But the media just pummeled the American people with the narrative that Biden was a moderate, uh, a uniter, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, so they're not going to tell you the truth. But you can't, if you look at the policies, there's no other reasonable conclusion that a thinking person can conclude the policies. A couple of the stories I looked at before I originally came on, uh, I wanted an article to 
state why uh, Biden has no control over gas. And I wanted, again, I was originally searching for a, to ultimately a list of executive orders and or uh, uh, Interior Department agency regulations, EPA, etc. Uh, I'll continue to look for uh, some type of list to easily explain it. Um, but I didn't find it. Nevertheless, there was an article on why it's Biden's fault uh, and why it's not. Why it's not was that article was published in November. And it basically said the same old information that uh, people apply normally to gas, for one, uh, that it's strictly supply and demand. Um, they danced and danced and danced trying to justify that rationale, that reason uh, as to why Biden's hands were tied, so to speak. Now, again, this was November of last year. He came into office January 20th. And so fast forward 10 months later, uh, inflation was, I want to say, one and a half percent when he took office. So that would be under Trump, roughly one and a half, maybe one seven, one eight, maybe one point three. But it was one point something under Trump, December, going into uh, the inauguration. By November of last year, it was already evident that inflation was out of control. They were trying to say it's temporary. It's uh, what do they call it? The word uh, transitory, maybe. Uh, you know, they invent stuff to sound like they know what the hell they're doing, which they don't. Uh, an economy, especially the world's largest economy, but they're fluid, they're dynamic. Uh, I've said, um, you can't argue with the laws of economics. You continue to print money, spend money you don't have, eventually it, it comes crashing down. It, you cannot sustain it. Uh, that had actually it started to my recollection back in August. So here we are in November and the author of this article is trying to tell us why it's not poor old Joe's fault that it was the pandemic. Uh, they didn't have Putin at the time. The article that attempted to make the argument that it was indeed strictly Biden's fault and or the administration, the swamp, uh, regulatory agencies, etc., named off several executive orders, several actions that agencies took. Some of those I mentioned, um, I think in hour one, like Biden, within three to four hours of his inauguration, uh, shutting down the Keystone XL pipeline, uh, shutting down Anwar in Alaska. Uh, something that we have fought since the late 80s, early 90s. 
Enwar in Alaska, a huge, uh, rich uh, oil, uh, whatever, finding. Uh, it, we just, there's more oil there than you can imagine. And the other side have done everything they could each time there's a Democrat president to slow it down, to stop it altogether. And Biden is no different. So it goes through all of these onerous decisions that have piled up one after another. And the cumulative, cumulative effect, which is why we have, uh, as of, I guess this week, 9.1 inflation year over year, the producer's uh, index, which is how much it cost producers, manufacturers to pay for the product in order to get it to the end user, i.e. customer. Uh, year over year, that is up 11%. I mentioned that the reason that's significant because that's what the producer is paying this month, let's say July, um, just for argument's sake, let's say in the month of July, the producers are paying 11 something percent more than they did last July. Well, in August is when that 11.1% hits the customer, the end user, the consumer. Just as a general, uh, you know, just common sense, not strictly a true indicator, but in general, if inflation is in July is 9.1, producer price index is over 11%, it stands to reason that in August, that the inflation would go up. Now, that's not to say to from 9.1 to 11. That, that's not, I'm not making that argument. Just the fact that the producer, to get you the goods, services, products, whatever, had to pay 11% more this year than they did last year. So they, they will charge you going forward in August is the easiest way to explain it and to look at it. Um, we all know about gas, which is basically what's started it because it's the lifeblood of this country, of this economy. Barack Obama, I, I can't, it's right there. It's in his words, whether it was campaign speeches, uh, you know, for the public, like out in the open, uh, whether it was, um, campaign rallies or events with private donors and somebody had a cell phone to record him and how he was going to destroy the coal industry and basically say, I'm not going to outlaw coal or prohibit it, so to speak. I'm just going to make it so damn expensive. They can't afford to build new coal fire plants. They can't afford to keep up with the cost of regulations on uh, current coal fire plants. 
We haven't built one in 40 years, roughly. Well, they keep raising the regulations, basically raising the standards. So you have to, to meet those standards in order to uh, stay in business. And it's costly. And so they're, they made it uh, known publicly, did not hide the fact that they were going to start the business of right, raising those prices so high that coal burning plants, I guess, could not keep up. In other words, it wouldn't be uh, cost beneficial to continue to upgrade the facilities because you were spending more catching up with the regulations than you were getting back. In other words, return on investment. Um, I mentioned coal. Uh, in the second hour, I played a Dwight Yoakam song, Reading, Writing, Route 23. Um, I got sidetracked and didn't discuss why. Uh, number one, I like Dwight Yoakam. Uh, him and Randy Travis came out roughly about the same time and I bought both of their uh, first albums. I've always liked uh, this Kentucky style music. Uh, just the music, the, the lyrics, the feeling in it, just generally. I've always liked music that come from Kentucky because of so much of their life and feeling is into the songs that they sing and the music. Uh, but the song talks about coal mining, plants, factories, businesses, reading, writing, Route 23. Basically, the premise was that was the road to lead the newer generation away from the coal mines to work in factories, to have better living, uh, cleaner. You, you know, one of the lines is, have you ever seen a, uh, a guy basically coughing up cold, uh, cold, black dust, cold. Uh, another line talks about uh, pulling up in a holler at 2 a.m. so you could, the, the grandbabies could visit with their grandparents. Uh, the implication that they were trying and this is mid-80s, I'm guessing, late 80s. You know, it was evident at that time they were trying to uh, be more subtle about the coal industry, not chasing people out or closing it down or radical, crazy ideas, but trying to steer the up-and-coming generation away from that way of life. And ultimately... A lot of people bought into it, and it led to a whole mess of problems. Places like West Virginia now, places in Kentucky. Um, I don't necessarily know about Pennsylvania, but where they have closed these mines uh, through whatever means that has worked, it has decimated uh, communities, families, neighborhoods, uh, just decimated. The whole time we're hearing from these kooks, Obama, Biden, we'll displace them. We'll find them jobs. 
we'll we'll teach them you know for instance let's say how to weld or how to do this or whatever we know they're making good money and we don't want to take that away from them so we'll again displace them we'll we we won't leave them out to dry and again people buy it hook line and sinker and it's just it's sad it's tragic a couple of the guys that i'm very fond of obviously dwight yokum uh, but these other guys that sing about the coal miners like in the old days train songs for an example uh tyler childress uh sturgill simpson all have songs talking about the simple life of growing up in a coal mining town, family, etc. Uh, and that it's almost like a necessary evil. Uh, but it's a simple life, simple values. And it's one of the things that the left, the environmental kooks, have attacked with zero regard for how it's affected these communities and these people as individuals. Zero concern or compassion. And they will go to their parties, their global warming conferences, and they will brag how good they are, what, what good things they've done, contributed to the fight, etc. And just not, not even necessarily regard, but not even have knowledge of how much damage their ideology has caused in the real world. Because all they do is look at it from the abstract. And in the abstract, everything sounds perfect. Just like the, you know, the spending of money since 0708. It's been a continuous flow of printed money. It hasn't stopped. And you can't, an economy cannot sustain itself, especially when you have somebody like Biden literally pulling the reins back to slow the, to purposely slow the economy. I mean, if the economy's growing two, three, four percent each quarter, you know, you can sustain it for a little bit, but eventually it's still going to come crumbling down unless you start, uh, you know, balancing the budget, uh, do some cuts, etc. which, I, you know, never happened. But the point is, it would slow the, uh, the answering for the trillions of dollars that we have printed and, and spent. Because eventually it will come back. You, uh, you can't do it. An economy cannot sustain it. But as long as it's growing at a positive two to three percent on a quarterly basis, again, you'll slow that that demise down. Hopefully, long enough to correct the behavior. Um, 
but they're, they're not interested. They want to continue to spend money, print money, in essence. Bernie Sanders saying, well, uh, you know, uh, we pay ourselves back. But as these interest rates continue to rise, that payment to the government gets higher and higher because the amount of money that you've borrowed and printed now, you know, at least right now, your interest rates 0.75% higher than it was a couple of months ago. If the Fed raises it the next time at 1%, you know, well, now you're a, a 1% higher than it was this month. So that interest rate climbs and it takes more money out of the federal budget. You know, obviously you have more interest. You have to pay more. So not only if either are we in a recession or close to a recession, but these policies are stopping our economy, our growth, just halting it because you're taking the lifeblood and you're, you're trying to convince the, the masses that it's going to be okay. Green is going to be okay. We know what we're doing. Trust us. We have a plan. It's in place. Even though, which again, a stated goal to raise the price of gasoline at the pump to deter usage, i.e. emissions. And I, I just, I know where, I know the potential of where it's heading. I know that it is disastrous. It is destructive. Um, we, as a civil society, if we do not stop this in its tracks, we will not only not be a sovereign nation, and I don't want to uh, go to the extreme and say that these countries like Russia or China that are going full steam ahead with their energy because they realize how effed up our leaders are. I mean, they basically don't have to do anything special. They just sit back and, and watch the destruction from within. And that's literally, you know, I mean, I'm not being doom and gloom. But if you played that particular string out, they won't have to fire a shot. We'll destroy the lifeblood, uh, prevent it from running the economy. And everything will start shutting down. Eventually. Because if you don't think, think of your body. You know, if, if you're having trouble with blood circulation or an aneurysm or, you know, basically you have to have the blood circulating in your body. And oil has been used as uh, the metaphor, the lifeblood of this economy. And they have been beating up oil, fossil fuels, uh, at least, let's just say the last 30 
years, maybe 32, 33 years, over a feigned, in my opinion, a feigned or a fake or a made-up catastrophe for fear, fear, just like COVID, fear. Because it's much easier to lead, to steer, to uh, indoctrinate, to uh, convince people when that motivation is fear. Again, nothing new. Uh, you know, it's not some new discovery. This, they know human history just like somebody, a dumb old redneck truck driver. They know uh, tendencies, human behavior, philosophy. They disagree with a lot of the, the good philosophers because they have a different agenda than the good philosophers. But we can't, we have got to realize that number one, this is no different than COVID in uh, the quest for power, uh, destruction, control. Um, you know, that's why I, I, it just burned me up with the kids. The safest people in the country by age group, demographics, etc. And they were making these kids wear masks. And it was uncalled for. There was no legitimate reason to. No scientific medical reason to make the demographic or group that is the least affected by the disease to wear masks. Knowing and having the outlook I do, whether it's right or wrong, my opinion, and I was not and am not afraid to state it. If they could control this generation and force them to do something that they know better, shots, masks, you know, shut down economies, the whole nine yards, the whole bottle of wax, under the guise that the government's going to rescue you. The government knows the best. The government has the answers. The government is concerned. The government cares that 20, 30 years down the road, if there's something else, this generation will always be able to look back and be, for a large part, resigned to the fact and hearken back to their childhood. And even if it's not something that, you know, that affects them, if it affects their kids or grandkids, they can always, you know, tell that story, pass it down. Well, back in my day, when I was, you know, knee high to a grasshopper, listen to what the government did. And we did what we were told.
and and you know global warming this whole deal is is not far off the agendas differ slightly but but not enough to be significant in my opinion that's I get aggravated a lot with some of these up-and-coming conservative hosts, um, pundits, uh, personalities, etc. Um, and I hate to pick on the guy because I constantly, I, not constantly, but I do it occasionally. But I'm going to name Ben Shapiro. Now, by and large, I, I have the utmost respect for the dude classical violinist um uh, you know i've mentioned my affinity for classical music i think i don't recall off the top of my head but this kid was a classical violinist at like i don't know 12 13 years old it would just play beautiful music um so just that talent alone um you know, I know that a lot of music is kind of uh, like math. I can't see it. Uh, you know, my grandfather could play the saxophone. He tried to teach me. Um, looking back, Lord have mercy, I wish I'd have had more patience and time, not only for the lessons and, uh, you know, that I can't get back that time with him. But just to, you know, be able to read music, play an instrument. Um, but, you know, Shapiro's like 35, okay? And is a conservative, is a leading conservative thinker, not only on the scene, but he's young enough to appeal across the spectrum he doesn't back down from a, a fight debate i say a fight a debate argument argument from again the lawyer's perspective um is an incredibly fast thinker um there's few people that you can watch and somebody that can listen to uh, let's say a question or um, somebody attempting, not necessarily attacking, because a lot of these questions aren't um, ad hominem attacks. Uh, they're policy attacks or position attacks. And I find it impressive, fascinating uh, that he has that ability to take in oftentimes the entire question and and these people might have a, a a three by five note card and read what you know is is a paragraph so to speak in other words a two three part question um whatever and he is just outstanding in that regard um obviously if you've listened to me um talk into this can for any length of time you know how i get distracted i.e hour two but um he is a, an oppressive conservative voice 
And I'm grateful. I've listened to him. Uh, I think he's over 500, maybe close to 600 podcasts. I think when I started listening, uh, in fact, my nephew Devin uh, is the one that turned me on to him. And Devin is the nephew, if I haven't mentioned, that has just recently graduated law school. Um, just, I, you know, it, it's odd. You know, I'm, I don't mean to brag, but I do. Okay. Both of my brothers, younger brothers, have kids that either one or both of their parents say, if I didn't know any better, he's just like you in various ways. He reminds me of you in so many ways. I take it, and it's meant as complimentary. Um, but nevertheless, Devin, who is the middle brother's oldest son, again, just graduated law school. Uh, I know I've mentioned it, uh, especially once I heard the news. You know, again, I'll say the same thing. I hate that it was the University of Florida, but nevertheless, it is what it is. He turned me on to Shapiro uh, maybe 2016, 2017, it's a guess. Um, but I think he was around 130 or 140 podcasts at the time. I, I don't know that that's accurate, best guess. So in other words, I've listened to the dude for a few years. Um, it's not, I don't have this feeling based on yesterday's podcast or something. I, I, I'm not just that quick to judge. But when I hear things, and, and I've discussed it before about uh, the election, no, um, you know, the election basically wasn't stolen. Um, to paraphrase, uh, there was no systemic election shenanigans. And, and that, those were nowhere near his words. He is now kind of modified his statement um, to include states, uh, major cities like the state of Pennsylvania, where either the governor or the secretary of state uh, changed election rules and or processes. And Pennsylvania's constitution the state constitution is very specific that only the legislature has that power. I, and I, it may even be that it has to come in the form of a constitutional amendment voted on by the people. Uh, some of these states I get mixed up, but in other words, not one person has the power to alter or change election laws. And Pennsylvania did it. I've mentioned it before. The Supreme Court, Alito heard it, and he couldn't get enough of the other justices to accept the case. Um, there were arguments from different um, parts of the country that there was no standing. Uh, you, and, that, and that's from memory, but in other words, there was no outcome. So they couldn't, there was no reason to, 
cry fraud or foul or uh, stolen election or whatever because there were at the time there were no results. Then once the results came in, then these a lot of these same judges said, "Well, you know, I mean, the people have spoken. I can't. I'm not as a judge. You know, our democracy is to let the people vote and make the decision. And you know, me in a black robe, probably appointed, maybe elected. Either way, me, my little old." lonesome self as a, a judge cannot uh, make overturn the will of the people, etc. Hopefully you get the idea of, of what I'm uh, trying to demonstrate. So on one hand, they the Trump people had no basis for uh, legal action until there was a crime or until you have been um, aggrieved. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but in other words, until you have been harmed in some way, you have no basis for a suit. And then once the harm was done, well, you know, something to the effect of, we can't overturn the will of the people. What's done is done, you know. Um, Wisconsin, the Supreme Court just said, literally, well, I don't think they used a number in their actual ruling, but they ruled that Wisconsin illegally uh, accepted ballots. The ballots that the court ruled on numbered in the hundreds of thousands. Uh, I don't know specifically I've heard 120, 150. I've heard two to 300,000. I, you know, the, the bottom line is the Wisconsin Supreme Court said that these ballots should not have been counted. You take out all those ballots, which were uh, ballot harvested, um, drop boxes, um, illegal obviously because of the ruling, illegal uh, absentee or mail-in ballots, votes. So in other words, it was all the things that the Democrats have pushed and did push during the election cycle. So just take a random number that an overwhelming majority of those illegal votes went for Biden. You take that percentage and extrapolate it, removing all of the legal numbers, you know, both Biden and Trump, because illegal is illegal. Trump wins Wisconsin, Arizona. They did the audit. Biden came up with, I don't know, 100, 200, 300 more votes than originally uh, tallied on election night. But they also said that there was thousands and thousands and thousands of people that voted that they could not reconcile. In other words, they 
They just didn't know if that person was eligible to vote. You know, they couldn't track down whether or not that per that person was eligible to vote in the state of Arizona, whether it be uh, the the individual in question had moved to another state, uh, whether or not the individual in question is even a U.S. citizen. And those are little things that Shapiro dismisses. Um, I don't think there's ever an election, just for the record, that there is no fraud. Every election cycle, you hear stories of fraud. I can't say, you know, conspiracies and all that, but there is fraud and deception that goes on. Um, same thing with climate change. He concedes that in some way that man contributes to climate change. And I just 100% disagree. And I think sometimes in some of his uh, podcasts or whatever, that he, he bends over backwards to, in other words, let's just simplify it and say, to not be mean or to not be hard-headed, closed-minded. He, he, he bends over backwards to say, um, I have an open mind. I'm willing to consider, discuss possibilities, etc. I don't know that. I, I'm not casting an aspersion and definitively saying that's his uh, perspective. But I just thank you, you know, and I, I would, I'd love to sit down with him, smoke a cigar, have a beer, bourbon, and, and, and listen to his, his side of the story. But in the several years I've listened, I've never heard anything to change my mind because I think it's, uh, like I have used before. Lincoln and the uh, Lincoln-Douglas debates when he was accused of something and then challenged to prove. And Lincoln said, you cannot prove or disprove a negative. So we can't prove or disprove global warming. We just can't. We don't have enough information. Um, Nevertheless, uh, it irritates me to where people will not wholeheartedly buy into the premise, but accept the possibility of the premise. Because I just don't see how there's any way that man has the ability to affect climate. And even if we did, number one, carbon is not a pollutant. Now, they've changed the language. Hence, you know, everybody's going to change the definition now. But up until recent history, carbon has never been classified as a pollutant. It wasn't until the Supreme Court 
in the Massachusetts case, uh, extended or allowed the government to include carbon in the Clean Air Act. Before that, carbon wasn't a pollutant. Furthermore, all the different examples, cycles, etc., that I've already mentioned tonight, um, one of those being that in various uh, periods of time, or as we said, errors, uh, periods, carboniferous period, that carbon was probably, I'm going to guess from memory, close to double what it is right now. And we had zero to do with it. Uh, we know life and plant life flourished. The dinosaurs, uh, the plant eaters flourished. And I would imagine, even though I haven't heard or don't recall, but if the plant eaters are flourishing, getting all fat and happy, I would have to think that the meat eaters, the car, uh, what do you call, uh, carnivores, would have had a handy, unlimited buffet of the plant eaters. And the dinosaurs we know walked the face of the earth for a hundred million, 100 million years. We know that at any point, Mount uh, Vesuvius, um, what's the one in Japan? Mount Fuji, maybe? Uh, the one from the 18, maybe 30s, that at the time was, I think it was called Krakatoa, um, which I believe it's the volcano formerly known as Krakatoa, is the loudest sound in human history. And I don't remember the exact number, but it was, it was heard hundreds of miles away. Uh, and I think they judged judged uh, the the sound by miles traveled. How, you know, they know the speed of sound, uh, miles traveled, and so they determined it that way. I want to say the 1830s, Mount uh, Krakatoa. But we know these. Look at Yellowstone. Yellowstone's considered uh, a super volcano, and I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it. If Yellowstone erupts, which that eruption cycle, I forget the, the, the cycle, but let's say it's 60 million years. And that's a guess. You know, I know that throughout the Earth's history, there's almost a cycle like the Earth wobble affecting the Sahara. So let's just for a random number, say every 60 million years, the volcano under Yellowstone National Park erupts. If that super volcano erupts, you're probably looking at pretty much nothing survives. Maybe within certainly Oklahoma, Nebraska, uh, what's next? Iowa, I think. Maybe the Dakotas, at minimum, all the way to California and, and up north and south. I mean, uh, maybe not total destruction into, say, to the Mississippi River, 
but a considerable loss of human life uh, just from the blast. This is not the after effects. One eruption from Yellowstone uh, would probably lower the global temperature uh, two or three degrees. I mean, could possibly have, uh, you know, no plant life. I mean, it could do serious damage to the planet and obviously life in various forms. Now, that's not to say that we should be able to you know, do whatever. That's not my argument. My argument is that there are more things destructive on this earth than what we are allegedly generating. I believe that wholeheartedly. I think, again, it's a scam. Um, a hoax. If it was legitimate, they would do something about illegal immigration. If they were honest and it was strictly global warming, we know that the United States has the cleanest exploration, mining, uh, refineries, coal-fired plants, nuclear. We've got the cleanest shit all over the world because of these radical kooks. But be that as it may, so why are you going overseas around the world begging for energy, fossil fuels, from these countries that, that laugh at you because they know you are trying to destroy your country and your economy. If we, if it was really global warming, wouldn't you want to get your energy supply uh, refined, etc., from the cleanest country and producers on the face of the earth, which is us? Now, to me, I, you know, it's something that you don't hear discussed. Maybe I shouldn't say at least outside of certain conservative circles. You know Russia doesn't give a shit. You know, I've said before, China has, I think, 750 coal-fired plants, and they're in a race. I want to say the number is to build about 400 more. We can't, they're trying to limit our coal burning, etc. But we can still mine and send all that coal overseas to the dirtiest, nastiest, uh, most environmentally unfriendly coal-fired plants, producers, countries, etc. And it's okay for, for them to do bad things to the planet. So little things like that tell me it's not about the environment. It's not about global warming. Social media. Do you realize the internet, uh, things like your Facebook messages, Instagram. I don't know if you can send messages on Instagram. Uh, 
all these things. What is it? Snapchat. Uh, I don't know about TikTok if there's messages. In other words, these apps and uh, medium or mediums that you can save data. Where, where does that save to? A cloud, okay? Uh, your account, uh, emails. You know, you may have never uh, deleted emails in your Gmail or Yahoo account. You may have tens of thousands. All that's stored in the cloud somewhere. It's stored on machines. Those machines have to be maintained roughly 70, 72 uh, degrees Fahrenheit at somewhere 65 or, or lower percent humidity. And these server farms are massive. They would remind you of an Amazon uh, warehouse. They're just massive. And it's all, you know, roughly 72 degrees with low humidity. If, if it was global warming, um, wouldn't there be warnings, messages, admonitions to not store messages, to read them and delete them unless they're vital? Wouldn't you have heard stuff like that? All these companies that claim to be for the environment, carbon free, carbon credits, carbon horse shit. Facebook, Google, all, you know, wouldn't they be spreading the message that if you have never deleted your Gmail or Yahoo account and you've got tens of thousands of messages, you are doing as much damage ultimately to the climate, adding to global warming as the guy, you know, burning a, a 1972 Ford truck working on his farm. So keep in mind for the, the economy to prevent and, and help and aid in stopping global warming, delete your friggin' emails, your Facebook, your whatever. I've never, ever, ever heard that. But I can promise you, if it was truly global warming, climate change, and, and a legitimate, bona fide concern and agenda, you would have heard that 10 years, 12 years ago, whenever smartphones came out. And it was evident that these companies were going to have to, to start building server farms. And I have, again, yet to hear it. Anyway, if you feel differently, please don't hesitate to contact me. Uh, because I, I want to be persuaded. I want to be proven wrong. Not really, but I'm willing to listen, to have an open mind. Anyway, we are out of time. Thank you for playing along, listening, and joining us here on The forgotten conservative.